Good morning. This is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 9.42 a.m. Central Standard Time. It is the 17th of January, 2020. This is episode... 182 of Bitcoin and the little cats out of the doghouse. Yeah. <clears throat> Yesterday, Hodel and Not uh, tweeted the following UK High Court handed down judgment today in the defamation case Craig Wright filed against me. The judge ruled the UK does not have jurisdiction and the proceedings against me there to be dismissed. Norway has jurisdiction. We will go to court there to put an end to this mess. So, yeah, it looks pretty much like the majority of this bullshit for Hodel and Not is behind them. Thank God. Uh, for all of those who donated to the Legal Defense Fund of Hodel and Not, I personally want to thank you because Hodel and Not, I count as a very good, well, mate. Not a very good friend. We haven't ever gotten beers together because, well, I don't live in Norway. But if the cat ever comes to Texas on his little spaceship and gets out of his spacesuit, uh, I will buy him as much beer as it takes to get that little dude tanked. Okay, so uh, that's good news for the community. That's very good news. The only thing that I don't quite understand about that tweet, I asked for clarification, but I'm sure Hodel Anat is either not going to be forthcoming with the information or is just too damn busy having to deal with mondo piles of crap that he just kind of didn't, you know, he did not answer. The clarification I asked for was how much longer is this shit going to take? And of course, I guess he doesn't know, but I was kind of hoping for like a guesstimate or something, right? But uh, the other thing that I kind of don't understand is whether or not, because the the, fi- the charges as I know them were filed with the UK and not with Norway. So I'm wondering if the cat is countersuing Craig for bullshit because he would, as a citizen of Norway, have jurisdiction in that particular court. Or did Craig file uh, charges, or not, I don't know if their charges is the right term. Did he file in Norway as well as the UK? So I don't know, but apparently now this whole thing is going to Norway court system. So we will have to see what's in store for the fate of everybody's space cat. Okay, now huge news. Peter Woola or Willa just added Bip Schnorr, Bip Taproot, and Bip Tapscript as a pull request on the GitHub core repository. And let me just tell you what he, this was 21 hours ago, so it was actually yesterday, but still, uh, let me, uh, tell you what he wrote about it in the pull request. It says, this adds the three BIPs that describe the consensus rules and basic wallet operation for the taproot proposal. 
There have been several discussions on the mailing list on the original idea and this proposal specifically, including the ones or including the ones that result in significant changes being made to the proposal. Furthermore, a structured review session with many participants was held, resulting in many comments and improvements. I believe it's time to actually publish them as bips. So round of applause for all the guys that have been working on Schnorr, Taproot, and TapScript. Thank God this is pull request number 876, according to the GitHub repository. Although I would imagine that there's... There would I would imagine that there would have to be more, but anyway, uh, if you want to go look at it, this is uh, pull request number eight seventy six. So you can go look at that on a uh, on the uh, GitHub repository. Finally, in community news, now I didn't know about this guy, but apparently he's very beloved in the community. So it is uh, it would behoove me to read the obituary for Tomas Bloomer pioneering Bitcoin developer. Peter Chawaga is writing for Bitcoin Magazine. Sorry about butchering your name there, Pete. Uh, January the 15th, 2020. Tomas Bloomer, a Bitcoin developer since 2012 and founder of several groundbreaking Bitcoin-focused projects, reportedly passed away on January the 12th, 2019, after a long fight with, you guessed it, cancer. Among Bloomer's contributions to the Bitcoin ecosystem were Rust Bitcoin. My God, I had no idea. Jeez, man. See, I've been in this space for a long time, and there's so much that passes you by, and Rust Bitcoin is a big deal. And I've heard about Rust Bitcoin for a year, and yet Tomas Bloomer's name was probably mentioned, but it just didn't seat into the gray matter there. Uh, Rust Bitcoin, a project focused on creating a Bitcoin network library written in the Rust programming language. Cointerra, an early ASIC mining manufacturer and Bitcoin technology company Bits of Proof, which was acquired by decentralized finance company Digital Assets Holding, where Bloomer served as the chief ledger architect. Quote, Rip, Tomas Bloomer tweeted Adamant Capital partner Tour de Meester on the morning of January the 15th, 2020. These past three years, you fought cancer and you fought it valiantly. We will dearly miss your friendship, wise words, and humor. Thank you for the many lessons in Bitcoin on Bitcoin and life. It hurts to say goodbye. As of the time of this writing, dozens of commenters have responded to uh, Demeester's tweet, leaving their own condolences. More than 800 Twitter users have liked it. Over the last year or so, Tomas had been hard at work leaving a legacy of better Bitcoin SPV client libraries. Matt Carollo, a Bitcoin developer who has worked with Rust Lightning, tweeted, While they've been a one-man project up till now, he was a talented man and his work is worth checking out and continuing. According to Bloomberg, Bloomer worked as an analyst at Deutsche Bank AG from 1996 until 2012. When his LinkedIn page notes that he joined Morgan Stanley as an executive director in Budapest, his first official career foray into Bitcoin came with Cointerra in 2014. Up until his passing, Bloomer remained active in the Bitcoin world. For instance, he published an article about flaws in the central banking system to Medium on December the 16th, 2019. Quote, the central bank is never short of cash since it creates it. 
That is what the Fed engages in increasing hundreds of billions since September 2019. Doing so, however, sends a signal to the market that there is not enough cash for everyone. This is like blood in the water for the predators who have thereby the confirmation that some banks struggle and either have to pay high interest rates for short-term cash or liquidate their bag of treasuries at depressed prices, end quote. In addition to the extensive trove of similar articles, uh, Bloomer left a cache of GitHub repositories for those interested in learning from and expanding upon his development work. And on January the 3rd, 2020, which is Bitcoin's birthday, Tomas Bloomer tweets out, Happy birthday, Bitcoin. It has been exciting and enriching working for you for many years. So Tomas Bloomer passing away from cancer, which apparently going to kill us all. Um, still, it, it's it's worthwhile understanding that even at, at the late stage of his life, because he, he was definitely an older guy, um, I, he's not in his, you know, seventies or anything, but still he was, he wasn't a young gun either. Um, he got hired by Bitcoin in 2000. What was it? 2014. Is that where it was? Yeah. 2000, uh, Cointerra in 2014. So in 2014, he was hired away from Morgan Stanley by Bitcoin because he was prepare the memeage hired by Bitcoin. That'll do it for community. So, shall we do vital statistics? I think we shall. Bitinfocharts.com presenting a Bitcoin price uh, of 8,829. We have a high over at Bit Asset at 8,913. The low appears to be at GDAX at $8,822. So, kind of a tight trading range there. 322,500 transactions in the last 24 hours gives us about 13,500 transactions per hour on average. 1,081,000 Bitcoin have been sent in the last 24 hours, with an average being sent per hour of 45,000. The average transaction value is 3.35 BTC. The median is at 0.026 BTC or about 226 bucks. Block times are way low at 8 minutes and 8 seconds. We have one, uh, sorry, 0.128 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis, 22.5 BTC being taken overall in fees in the last 24 hours. Holy shit. Oh, sorry. Oh my God, the hash rate has increased by 12.5%. Guys, that's bringing us to 122 exahashes per second. Um, that's going to be an all-time high as far as, as I can tell. Wow, 122 exahashes per second. Man, my God almighty, what a monster. The last commit to the GitHub repository for Bitcoin was sometime... Well, this morning, uh, Ethereum is at 167, Bcash is at 339, BSV is back under $300, and it needs to be under $1. Actually, it just needs to freaking die. It's at 297. Litecoin is at 57.77. Ethereum Classic, holy crap, is at 10 bucks. Oh my God. <laughs> God, the shit coiners. 
Doge, on the other hand, has taken a, a punch to the face. It's at 0.0024 USD with 35,000 transactions in the day. It's close to the 49,000 of Ethereum Classic, but it's definitely walking all over Litecoin, which is the only one that it perpetually walks all over. Now, uh, just to add a little bit, let's go back to this hash rate thing. I want to take a look at some of the other shit coins here. It looks like BSV or I mean a BCH has lost uh, about 2%. They're at 3.8 X exahashes. BSV has gained almost 20% in 24 hours and it's at 3.5 exahashes. And there's been, apparently this is the only feather in their cap at this point um, that people are reaching for is this hash rate war that hasn't actually been a war for, I don't know, a year and a half or however long. No, it can't be that long. However long it was since BSV uh, forked off of the shitty BCH fork of Bitcoin. Um, but now there's a whole bunch of chatter with the BSVers, uh, between BSVers and BCHers about this hash rate war. So, I don't know, rivals that never deserved to live, much less rival each other. Oh, God, it's just, it's a mess. We are six blocks deep into the mempool with 11,500 unconfirmed transactions and everything is above one megabyte. Lightning Network shows 11,066 nodes. We have 35,654 channels, and we have an increase in network capacity. We are now at 862.84 BTC, and it looks like we've only had nine new nodes come online in the last 24 hours, but we've had a pretty good increase in new channels. 145 channels are brand new, and that's a 76.83% increase on a day-over-day -day basis. And I will be adding my channels to that shortly. Why? Because at 9.32 a.m. Central Standard Time, my node synced up. That's right. I am done downloading. I'm, I'm done with the IBD or the initial block download. All 600,018 some odd, whatever it is, some odd blocks are now into my node and my, and my node's graphic user interface immediately changed over to notify me that said IBD is indeed done because I've got all of my shit uh, coming up. I've got access to my Lightning wallet. I got access to Bitcoin. I've got access to Block Explorers. I've got all. I've got all the community level access because what I did is when I synced my node, I just used the community version. Now I can pay and get a bet, not a better version, but probably a more filled out version of the software that gives me some quote unquote premium features. But I just want to play around with community edition right now uh, so that I can start being a sovereign individual. Again, I used to have a full node on my computer when I was living back in Lubbock, but that was, you know, obviously before we moved and all, anyway, it all went away and, yeah, yeah. I just wasn't. I wasn't cognizant of the importance of of that whole issue at the time. But I was running one, and now I'm running one again. So my note is now live. I'm really happy about this. I can't wait. There's your vitals.
morning roundup. We've got on deck Winklevi, led Gemini Exchange, now has its own insurance company. This is written yesterday by, let's see here, um, Ian Allison for Coindesk.com. And there's going to be some cringe in here, guys, so just be prepared. Uh, be prepared. Get your pampers on for the cringe. Gemini, the crypto exchange founded by Cameron and Tyler Winklevoss, have created their own insurance company to protect clients against the potential loss of coins from its offline vaults with a possible record-breaking record $200 million in coverage limit. Announced Thursday, the captive insurer, uh, the captive insurer will provide coverage for customers of Gemini Custody, the crypto cold storage service of the Gemini Trust Company. Typically, cold storage policies cover losses due to insider thefts and collusion, as well as the destruction of private keys by natural disasters like floods, earthquakes, and so on. Cold storage refers to the practice of keeping the cryptographic keys controlling a crypto wallet offline on a hardware device disconnected from the internet or a slip of paper locked in a safe. Better be fireproof. Or better. Aside from its size, the Gemini policy is another sign the once meager supply of insurance coverage available to crypto firms is growing, even if they have to create some of it. Last year, insurance broker Aon and crypto exchange Coinbase announced plans to create a captive. Aon said it had captive creation deals with other exchanges in the pipeline. Gemini's new policy, which supplements its captive with coverage from outside insurers, has the largest limit of insurance coverage currently available by any crypto custodian in the world, said Yusuf Hussein, the company's head of risk. He may be right, although it's hard to make apples-to-apples apples comparison in this market. Coinbase has said it has $255 million in coverage of assets held in online or hot wallets, Whereas the new Gemini policy is for cold storage, other large crypto insurance offerings were previously reported by insurance brokerage Marsh's Blue Wallet, or I'm sorry, God, Blue Vault, which provided $150 million of, for coins kept in cold storage. Here, here's, here's the cringe. Here it comes. Tighten up the butt cheeks. Gemini's captive insurance company is dubbed Nakamoto. Oh, God. After Bitcoin's mysterious creator and licensed by the Bermuda Monetary Authority, the Caribbean island is a popular location for insurance carriers and mafia, owing to its favorably regula favorable regulatory environment, particularly when it comes to bespoke products and entities such as captives. To be clear, as a captive, Nakamoto will insure only Gemini clients, not competitors. So that's all you really need to know here is A, $200 million and B cringe, cringe AF. Uh, I, I guess it's, I, I don't know, in a way it's good news. I guess it's just, they keep the, the winkle keep dabbling in shit coinery and it's just, God, it's so annoying. It just, it really is. Anyway, let's get on into this one. Althea to launch decentralized network for deep fakes and synthetic content. Um, I'm reading this not because I appreciate shit coinery. You guys know that. It's just that the deep fake stuff is getting weird. And the fact that these guys are latching on to it as intellectual property to be protected should raise some eyebrows at minimum. This is Andre Shevchenko. Shevchenko, 
Andrei Shevchenko. God, it's just a theme with this show. Cointelegraph, 44 minutes ago. Althea AI is launching a decentralized synthetic content network to track the usage and intellectual property of AI-generated content. The company plans to offer a wide selection of content, including but not limited to face-swapped deepfake videos. Althea is a production studio for AI-generated content, having previously released a video featuring Binance's CEO... Well, I can never pronounce his name. Let me give it a try. Chang Peng Zhao. Chang Peng Zhao's face in a martial arts setting. Other content include a video on climate change made to challenge the negative reputation of deepfakes. I don't know how that works. Synthetic content is often criticized for its potential impact on fake news. These videos use AI-based voice and face reconstruction to make realistic clones of important figures. While generally used only for memes, some argue that they may be used for manipulating media. With the Synthetic Content Network, Althea is attempting to introduce a mechanism for clearly disclosing AI-generated content and only allowing it with the consent of the person being shown. The platform uses blockchain technology to maintain records of ownership and permission for usage in addition to ensuring that the creators own the rights to the AI AI software they use. What? It will be powered by Althea's native token, which aims to introduce incentives for the various interactions between the ecosystem's players. In addition to face-swapping deepfakes, Althea wants to empower its users to create other types of content. For example, fans of a certain celebrity could use Althea to create videos of them doing particular actions, dancing, reading a book, or making motivational speeches. (laughs) All videos created with Althea will be labeled as satirical and will include watermarks to clearly distinguish them from true content. The project's stated goal is to democratize access to AI, allowing creative expression through the technology in a manner that would not violate the rights of the people involved. And this is complete bullshit. It's complete bullshit. If it's created on Althea's software, yeah, I get it. You could definitely you could definitely do that. You don't need a blockchain for it, but you you can definitely do this. Um, the The problem is is that you don't own Althea. You don't own all the AI generating content or software uh, generate that AI generating software. You don't own it all. There are other companies that make these things. There are students in AI labs at gra- at the graduate level that are building their own shit. The fact that whatever's built on Althea will have a watermark, all that does is basically put your ass out of your misery. That's all that's going to do. Because at that point, I mean, the, that whole statement of it may be used to, to manipulate fake news or, or inject fake news into the system, of course. And it's going to do a whole shitload more than just that. So by watermarking any proprietary shit created on your platform and giving the rights to these people basically puts you into a backwater because I hate to say it, but the whole the, the the main use case of this shit is scamming people, making people think something is true when it's not, making people think something is actually going on when nothing from the truth could be further, I mean, or nothing could be further from the truth. 
you've just used blockchain to sign your own death warrant. That's that's the way that I see this particular one playing out. So whatever. Grayscale reports record-breaking $600 million in crypto investments for 2019. This is Decrypt.co's Nicholas Marinoff. He was writing yesterday, in a sign of growing interest in cryptocurrency from institutional investors, Grayscale Investments announced that it attracted more than $600 million in investments. That's more than the totals for the company from 2013 through 2018 combined, according to the firm. And approximately 71% of last year's record-breaking figures came from institutional investors, Grayscale said in a statement. Among Grayscale's leading investment products is its Bitcoin Trust, which garnered more than $470 million in 2019, 193 million of which was accumulated in the fourth quarter alone. The Bitcoin Trust also earns a weekly investment average of over $9 million. In addition, Grayscale boosted its clientele by nearly 25% last year, while approximately 36% of its customers are invested in multiple Grayscale products, according to the company's own figures. And while there is lingering doubt as to whether institutional investors will ever fully jump on board the crypto bandwagon, major players in the world of finance have shown interest as of late. One such such company is Fidelity, which first opened its cryptocurrency division in early 2019, known as Fidelity Digital Assets. The enterprise announced its expansion into Europe last December and just days ago forced its first part or forged, sorry, not forced, forged its first partnership in the region. Fidelity will act as custodian for all Bitcoin funds held by Nickel Digital Asset Management in London. So Barry Silbert. On a roll, man. And I haven't heard a whole, I mean, I, I, I heard a couple of things out of Barry. I, you'll, you'll hear, you'll hear Barry maybe later. We'll, we'll talk about that. Uh, in either event, uh, the grayscale trust with Bitcoin. I mean, that thing, from what I understand is trading at a pretty hefty premium, which brings me to a question. Just why not just buy the underlying asset and let the ignorant basically, I don't know, pump your bags. I look, okay, that probably didn't go over very well. But I'm just saying, stupid people are going to be stupid and they're going to buy things at a premium when they don't have to. And in a very real way, that premium for a lot of these people is going to represent the following they either don't have the time or the inclination or the brain power to get on and stay on the learning curve that is how to work Bitcoin. How do you get a wallet? Where do you buy it from? How can you make it yourself with goods and services? How do you sequester said Bitcoin? How do you make sure that it's safe? How do you make sure that you are in possession of your own private keys? That's a lot of stuff. And if you think about it, it's kind of worth a premium. Not to me, and hopefully not to you guys, and hopefully you guys will go out and teach other people so that they will be part of the guys that know, and they won't have to deal with premiums like Grayscale Trust and buying Bitcoin that you don't even really have the keys to at the end of the day. I'm just saying, it's kind of up to us to make sure that we do what we can to make sure that premium kind of comes down. But be aware it probably is never going to come down because there's a lot of people on the planet. They're doing a lot of stuff that, and they're just not interested in, in worrying about this kind of crap. They want the gains. 
they like the idea, you know, they may or may not like the idea of it being sovereign. I don't know. I don't really give a shit. It's what I think to me, that's important to me there. Anyway, just be aware. New Hampshire's or New Hampshire's, however you want to pronounce it. Second bill to accept Bitcoin as tax payments fails. Hey, but at least they tried. Helen Parts writing for Coin Telegraph sometime this morning. Lawmakers in New Hampshire state legislature have killed a bill that would have allowed state agencies to accept cryptocurrencies as payment for taxes. On January the 8th, the New Hampshire House of Representatives announced a decision to retract the bill following a motion from the General Court's Executive Department's and Administration Committee to deem the initiative as inexpedient to legislate. <laughs> According to public records, authorities considered the bill ineffective due to the high volatility of cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin. If the bill was adopted, expenditures of the Department of Revenue Administration would have surged by an indeterminable amount in the fiscal year of 2020, the document reads. Quote, these changes would increase DRA expenditures by an indeterminable amount in fiscal year 2020 in anticipation of an implementation date of July the 1st, 2020. DRA cannot estimate if any additional revenue would be generated due to the acceptance of cryptocurrencies. The volatility of accepting cryptocurrencies could affect revenues due to tax assessments being generated in U.S. currency. Introduced in January of 2019, the bill NHHB 470 would have legalized tax payments in crypto starting from July 1st, 2020. The bill was sponsored by Republicans Dennis Acton and Michael Yakubovich and originated from a similar bill that was first initiated in the state back in 2015. The older bill, H.R. 552, was voted down 13 to 4 as inexpedient to legislate at the end of that year. In November of 2018, the state of Ohio was reported to become the first state to accept crypto for tax payments, initially allowing the option exclusively to businesses in the state. However, Ohio Treasurer Robert Sprague subsequently suspended the service in October of 2019, claiming that the state needs to make sure that such initiatives were established in accordance with Ohio law. Indeed, bills that would allow crypto holders to use Bitcoin to pay their taxes have seen little traction in state legislature in the United States. In 2018, similar crypto tax-friendly bills introduced by Arizona, Illinois, and Georgia ended up dead in committee adjourned indefinitely or vetoed by the governor respectively. So Georgia's governor just flat ass vetoed one of these things, man, dude, that's pretty short sighted, bro. I just, just saying decrypt.co's Liam Frost is writing sometime yesterday. Binance will restrict access to its crypto trading platform in Japan. Good God, the West is just under fire. Binance, the world's largest cryptocurrency exchange by volume, plans to limit access to its platform for users from Japan in the near future. According to a notice published on the company's support portal, it will begin to, quote, gradually restrict transactions for the country's residents at a later date. Currently, Japanese users still have access to all of the platform's features. Details of restrictions are promised to be disclosed in a new separate message. Previously, Binance has already taken similar steps to for users from the United States. In September, they lost access to the Binance.com platform, but a separate Binance.us exchange was launched in the country. As part of the U.S. expansion, Binance partnered with California-based BAM Trading. It is currently unclear whether a similar move is planned for Japan. 
As Decrypt reported last November, Binance has also acquired Indian blockchain exchange Wazir X, thus gaining a foothold in the Indian market of over 1 billion people. A few days later, the platform added fiat support for buying crypto with rupees. Recently, Binance CEO Cheng Peng Zhao, wow, I can say it now, published a letter explaining the company's big plans for 2020. In a letter, Zhao said a key goal for 2020 is to enable fiat to crypto trading for 180 global currencies. Thanks to the recent partnership with Bitcoin peer-to-peer trading platform Paxful, Binance customers now have access to virtual Bitcoin kiosk, which can purchase digital assets through Paxful with approximately 167 different currencies. With Binance eyeing an aggressive global expansion strategy, is Binance Japan next? I don't know really what to say about this except these two things. One, let's look at this sentence. Gradually restrict transactions. Gradually restrict. Okay, this is why this is why we raw Bitcoin. Okay, this is why we do it in the raw, because when you're doing it in the raw, you don't have to do that. What is in the raw? Essentially, it means making your pay from people through Bitcoin. They pay you for a good or service in Bitcoin. Has that happened to me? I've gotten some Satoshi's as tips. That's, that's what I've gotten. But no, I don't have a full-blown paycheck or anything like that. It's just like straight-up Bitcoin. But that's what we should all be trying to work towards because that really is the only way that you're going to circumvent people like Zhao deciding that they're going to gradually restrict your transactions because that's not what this shit is about. I get that he's under his company and him are under regulatory pressures. I get it. I do. But the, the way those regulatory pressures are destroyed is not by complying with them. And he has to. Otherwise, his, he gets thrown in jail or, or whatever happens to Zhao. It's by the rest of us slowly figuring out that on-ramping uh, by, you know, using a third-party service to send, us, send them our cash in, in return for Bitcoin is gradually going to be restricted. That's going to happen. And there's nothing you and I can do about it except to get onto a different set of rails. And that different set of rails is building a circular economy. It's going to take time. It's going to suck. It's going to be a long time. I I know. I get it. It's very possible that my children might be billionaires, but nah, I'm probably... If I get a farm out of the deal so that I can start plowing, you know, like you know, or, or building soil so that no matter what grows on that land is always going to be abundant, like animals, chickens, cows, pigs, whatever, uh, apple trees, cherry trees, at, or whatever I can grow on that thing that just produces food, then at least my children will always have a place to go in case the shit hits the fan. Just saying that's sort of what I want. But Ripple blew serious cash to sway U.S. crypto regulators, data shows, Ali is writing for Bitcoinist.com today. The new year is already well underway, and yet the crypto industry continues to struggle with the same issues as it did before. The crypto space still lacks regulatory clarity in most countries around the world, and even those that have made attempts to regulate it only partially succeeded in doing so. However, All eyes are still on the U.S. with the entire world waiting to see whether or not the country's regulators plan to make a move. 
In the meantime, new numbers emerge revealing that the crypto company Ripple, i.e. Cripple, which created the world's third largest crypto, XRP, sent around $170,000 lobbying the United States government last year. That works out to just under 740,000 XRP tokens at today's 23 cent valuation at time of writing. As per reports, Ripple spent a lot of time and money on lobbying efforts throughout the first three quarters of 2019. This information was reported by a nonpartisan research tracking group from the Center for Responsive Politics, which obtained the data from the Senate Office of Public Records. The data revealed that Ripple lobbied President Donald Trump's executive office. <laughs> going, going right to orange man. <laughs> Should have used orange coin. The data is currently available on a website known as Open Secrets, which reveals that this amount is actually significantly smaller than what Ripple spent on similar efforts in 2018, which was around $450,000. But still, questions remain. Is it money being well spent? <laughs> Does it matter? They keep dumping bags on their on their shitholders to get money. So that, to them... It's just like, it's just a leech and they can do with the blood, whatever they want to do with the blood. I mean, they got stupid people all over the place, ready to hand over hard earned cash. Why not? So the question as to whether or not is it money well spent is complete bullshit. Continuing on last October, the company stated that it will open a dedicated office in Washington, DC. The purpose of the office would be to deal with various compliance issues that cryptocurrency and innovators within the banking industry might encounter as the crypto development continues. Since then, the company made several moves trying to get lawmakers to make a move in favor of the crypto and blockchain industries. On one occasion back in July, the company purchased a full-page ad in the Wall Street Journal. The ad requested that Congress lawmakers recognize blockchain and crypto's potential in strengthening both the USD and the U.S. economy. God. Ripple also decided to employ Roy Hammond, a political advisor, who was then tasked with creating the new act, named the Token Taxonomy Act of 2019. Quote, we have expanded our global regulatory bench to include Susan Friedman as International Policy Counsel and Ron Hammond as Manager of Government Relations, the company said. The act is imagined to be rather crypto-friendly, and it contains a portion of comprehensive legislation that supports and grants greater power to build businesses based on blockchain technology and digital currency. In the same announcement, Ripple revealed that it became a member of the Blockchain Association. Quote, we are excited to be included as members of the Blockchain Association, an association playing a key role in shaping our shared digital future. Corp speak. The association's goal is to establish a partnership between policymakers and technology leaders but also to assist the two groups in reaching a deeper understanding and regulatory compliance. What are your thoughts on Ripple's effort to speed things up in bringing crypto regulation? Oh, God. Uh, it's just Brad Garlinghouse is a scam. He's scamming you out of your money. And it would not surprise me one bit to find out that this, quote, office that they're doing, let's see, uh, a company stated it will open a dedicated office in Washington, D.C. How much you want to bet that's on K Street? And for those of you that don't know what K Street in Washington, D.C. is, it's where all the lobbyists keep their offices. It's close to Congress. It's close to the White House. Uh, 
It's in my opinion, in my opinion, they should all be emptied out of their offices and turned over to Washington, D.C.'s homeless, of which there are many thousands of. Why? Because they're worth more than lobbyists. That's why. Ripple. Oh, not Ripple again. No, 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 no. Nazis. Hey, it kind of works. Nazis are using Bitcoin, U.S. government officials warn. Ali also, and again, writing for Bitcoinist.com yesterday, says the following. This Wednesday, a United States House Financial Services Committee held a hearing during which its members addressed the topic of cryptocurrencies. U.S. Congressman Brad Sherman of California took the lead by stating that crypto security and secrecy allows domestic terrorists to fund their operations in the U.S. Congressman Sherman specifically claimed that white supremacists are using Bitcoin, claiming that, quote, if it works for Hamas, it will work for Nazis, too. End quote. The same concerns came from the New Jersey Office of Homeland Security and Preparedness Director Jared Maples, as well as by Rena Miller, the financial expert at Congressional Research Services. Maple noted that Hamas prefers the coins due to their secrecy and privacy and that the Daily Stormer, Andrew Anglin, received a 60,000 BTC donation. No, 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 I'm sorry. That's written wrong. $60,000 of BTC donation after the attack on Charlottesville, Virginia. Other members of the House Committee made similar remarks, noting numerous known cases of neo-Nazi members using or receiving donations in cryptocurrency that allowed them to continue their operations throughout the country. ADL Senior Vice President George Selman stated that well-known Nazi websites such as Stormfront were heavily reliant on such donations. However, while the members of the committee agreed that it was important to fight terror groups, they also said that they may be mindful of the privacy of crypto users who have nothing to do with such groups. So far, the most effective course of action against Nazi groups in the U.S. was to cut off their funding. So far, they managed to collect donations via channels like PayPal, as well as earn it through advertising on platforms such as YouTube, various hate sites, and even by selling songs on iTunes. Dude, they should get into the merch business, bro. T-shirts, T-shirts, everybody loves, oh, whatever. There were numerous U.S. officials who spoke against Bitcoin and the rest of the crypto market during the last 11 years. However... Brad may be one of the harshest enemies of cryptocurrency in the country. Sherman continuously repeated his claims that Bitcoin has no other uses but to facilitate nefarious activities. This has been his primary message for years, and he even called on a total ban of cryptocurrency more than once. Sherman also appeared on Bloomberg TV late last year discussing the dangers of Facebook's Libra, claiming that the upcoming coin is a threat to the United States economy and national security. However, it was not long before he turned the discussion towards the entire crypto sector. Once again, bashing Bitcoin in the process, he noted that, quote, you can't buy a pack of gum for a Bitcoin. It has to have, sorry, it has to have an off-ramp so that you can then convert it into sovereign currency. There's nothing sovereign about fiat. Claiming that this is where Libra comes in, In quote. Needless to say, Sherman's review of digital currencies was not received well by the crypto community, and many mocked his limited knowledge and misunderstanding of said industry. While the general attitude towards cryptocurrency appears to be changing around the world, the U.S. still stands strong in its decision to try to be stupid as shit. 
It still lacks regulation, and it does not seem to be concerned about losing businesses that are leaving the country in favor of crypto-friendlier environments. We call that regulatory arbitrage. Again, regulatory arbitrage. Say that four times fast and then go look it up in the dictionary. Okay, what they're not saying about Brad is that before Congress, which is means that his testimony is now forever in the Library of Congress, uh, said that the reason he has a problem with Bitcoin and any cryptocurrency for that matter, shitty as they are, is that it will or seeks to undermine the United States' ability to project power and strength and control across the globe. Now, if that doesn't make you just it, the raise the hackles on the back of your neck, then you're either not listening or you're still of the mind of saying, rah, rah, murka, rah, rah. Now, don't get me wrong. There is no, there's nothing wrong with America, especially as it was, and also for a very great guts and feathers part of it as it is today. When I say as it is, I'm referring to the majority of the people, the citizenry of the United States. Just like the citizenry of Mexico are actually some pretty good people. The citizenry of Afghanistan has bunches of good people. The citizenry of Turkey, Greece, Italy, China. Man, you know what they're interested in doing? Having babies. Making sure that baby's fed having a roof over that baby's head, being in love, growing old with the person that you love, that you had babies with, and hopefully dying while you hold hands. That's what they're concerned about. The only people that are concerned about all the rest of the bullshit that we have to figure out how to navigate on a daily basis is people like Brad Sherman and the mass media that represents Brad Sherman. Anyway, I'm going to blow a gasket if I go on. I will comment on the whole Nazi thing. Nazis, they are your enemy. They use Bitcoin. What does that tell us? That Bitcoin's money. That's all I got to say about that. Is Russia's new prime minister good for Bitcoin? Also from the Bitcoinists, but this time from Anatol Anonofchi. And he was writing sometime yesterday, uh, cryptocurrency is not money while operations with it should be taxed. This and other statements were previously made by Mikhail Mishustin, who is now Russia's new prime minister. Nevertheless, despite the fact that Mishustin, well, hold on, Mishustin, Mishustin, okay, so it's Mishustin or Mishustin, doesn't seem to shift the government's approach toward cryptocurrencies. He is an avid fan of digitalization, and this is a plus for the crypto world. According to him, Russia should become a digital platform. The digital economy will become one of the first developed priorities, the candidate for the post of prime minister said. Mishustin was nominated by Russia's President Vladimir Putin yesterday after the latter caused the entire government to retire. He didn't retire. Oh my God, this has got it. This I'm sorry, this has got to be a mistranslation. They quit. They resigned. They said no. They basically walked the hell out. The entire government. Well, I'm sure that the people that work in like, you know, little offices and secretaries and, you know, and, and administrative assistants and whatnot, they probably didn't, but all their bosses did. They basically said, yeah, yet. Anyway. 
in an attempt to leave room for major constitutional changes. That's why they apparently retired, because Putin wants to change the Constitution. Anyway, continuing. Earlier today, Ms. Justin was appointed prime minister after being unanimously voted by the state Duma, Russia's lower chamber of the legislature. The new PM commented on the coming reforms, quote, the first thing we want to do is seriously engage in institutional reforms, management reforms introduced or introduced the latest digital technologies. Without a doubt, the state should become a digital platform that is created for the people. Oh, I'm sure that that's complete bullshit. Previously, Mishustin served as Russia's director of the Federal Tax Service between 2010 and 2020. Obviously, he had the occasion to voice his opinions on cryptocurrencies. In November of 2017, he said that crypto transactions should be taxed. Quote, I am convinced that it is necessary to tax such operations, but only when correctly assessing the economic consequences of using cryptocurrency. Back then, Ms. Houston stated that cryptocurrencies were a financial instrument for them to become legal money in Russia. A whole story should happen. What the hell that means? He compared the adoption of digital currencies with the situation of fiat money many years ago, saying that the latter was initially distrusted and had to be backed by gold. The PM's position is interesting and realistic, demonstrating that he is not against cryptocurrencies, but rather anticipates a gradual adoption. Earlier this week, we reported that Anatoly Aksakov, the chairman of the State Duma Committee on the Financial Markets, said that the State Duma would likely adopt the law on digital financial assets in the spring session. So Russia getting in on this. Also, Russia, entire government quits. How the... God, what a circus. Jesus. And don't get me wrong. I don't hate Russia. Russia is another one. The Russian people, they're totally fine. It's their government that sucks ass. That's a, like every citizenry around the world has the exact same enemy. They just speak a different language, and they also uh, go to work in buildings that represent slavery. And I'm not talking. Uh, don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not gonna. I'm not going politically correct here. I'm just saying all these buildings enslave their populace through money, specifically at this point by fiat money. Okay, last one up in the stack. Ripple says lawsuit could destroy multi-billion dollar XRP marketplace and wipe out investors. We can only hope. This is the Daily Hodel. It is written by the Daily Hodel staff sometime this morning. A judge is now considering Ripple's motion to dismiss a much-publicized lawsuit against the San Francisco startup Bradley Sostak is accusing the company of illegally selling XRP as an unregistered security. Ripple claims XRP is not a security and says the claims are unsubstantiated. The company also says any lawsuit on the issue would violate the statute of limitations and must have been filed three years within three years of the 2013 initial offering of XRP. So Stack's legal team argues that the statute of limitations are invalidated by the fact that Ripple continues to sell the digital asset, my bags. Now, new court documents reveal Ripple also claims that classifying XRP as a security could destroy the third largest cryptocurrency's entire marketplace. This is getting backed in what getting backed into a corner looks like people says the company's legal team on the motion to dismiss quote were so stack allowed to belatedly challenge the classification of xrp it would not only threaten to eliminate xrp's utility as a currency but it would up in and threaten to destroy the established xrp market more broadly 
a market involving over $500 billion in trading over the last two years, potentially wiping out the value held by the alleged thousands of individual XRP holders around the world, many of whom no doubt disagree with SoStack's claim that XRP is a security. Mm-hmm. Jake Chernevsky, general counsel at crypto lending platform Compound, says it's unclear how long the judge will take to consider Ripple's motion, but he warns it could take a while. Quote, as is typical, the judge took the matter under submission, meaning she will issue a written ruling at some later date. It could be days, weeks, or months. There is no time limit. The motion can sit on the docket forever. After about six months, it will show up in a report to Congress regarding the status of the federal judiciary, but even then, it can keep sitting on the docket. Okay, so that's just a warning that this you never know how long this shit's going to go on. But what's odd about this is that in no way, shape, or form is Ripple disavowing its relationship to XRP. Gee, I thought XRP wasn't created by Ripple Labs. You know, it's just such a shit show. And also, this one around here, we're $500 billion in trading over the last two years, according to these guys, was executed by thousands. $500 billion in two years, executed by thousands. There's something about that. Don't seem right. It just doesn't. Anyway, there's your morning roundup. All right, since today is Friday, this is going to be the last day of my tribute to Neil Parrott, the drummer from Rush, who sadly lost his life uh, to glioblastoma, or probably most likely that's usually complications thereof. It's very rare that cancer is written on a death certificate. Usually it's like congestive heart failure or, you know, renal failure or something like that. Anyway, nevertheless, on January the 7th, at the age of 67 years old, what is arguably the best drummer in the world lost his life to glioblastoma. Now, I've been saying, few, you know, a few things about Neil here and there. Um, and I had mentioned that uh, even after he had won multiple awards from multiple magazines and God only knows who else uh, as like either best drummer in the world or top five or whatever, Neil decided that it was time to take drum lessons. <laughs> Amazing. And I wanted to read you this piece on uh, that that digs into a little bit of, of what was going on in his mind and a little bit of the history of him taking the drum lessons. Um, I have this, uh, this entire article uh, is in my curated Twitter timeline for the show, The Morning Roundup. If you go to the show notes, you will find a section that says curated Twitter timeline. Click that link and uh, it should be in, in uh, the tweets for today. I, I segment all the, the stack of tweets for each show. Like a lot of times you'll see me tweet out something like Friday, January 17th, 2020, episode 182 of Bitcoin and dot, dot, dot. And then I'll have the cover art. Um, and, and when I do that, it's because I'm using that to put in as a demarcation in my Twitter timeline, the differences between the show that came the day before and today's show. So it should be in the stack that is closest to the top when you get into the Twitter timeline. Um, This part of the article says, 
After two decades of playing with Rush, Pert sent out to reinvent himself in the mid-1990s, studying with jazz drummer Freddie Gruber. He used these new techniques on the Test for Echo album, documenting his process in his first instructional video, A Work in Progress. Later, Pert studied with Peter Erskine to focus on what he called chops and groove and a more improvisational approach. In the article 2015, oh, sorry, in the 2015 article, Neil Pert reflects on 50 years of hitting things with sticks. Pert wrote, it was Peter who helped me conquer or at least attack what was for me the final frontier improvisation. Having developed a certain amount of compositional tools and habits over 40 years of playing, I was determined to become freer and more spontaneous. Peter helped me toward that goal with guidance in developing deeper time sense and greater musicality. With credit to Nick Ramanuskes, too, who encouraged and enabled my improvising in the studio. During breaks from touring with Rush, Pert recorded and performed with Vertical Horizon, the Buddy Rich Band, Jeff Berlin, and the Rio Statics. In 2008, Pert returned to New York City for the second Buddy Rich Memorial Concert. In 2009, he recorded a new version of the hockey song. Starting in the 1990s, Pert chronicled his development as a drummer in multiple instructional and documentary videos. So, Freddie Gruber, you gotta go. And look up Freddie Gruber. That dude's been in the jazz world for a long, long time. One of the most respected drummers in the world. And he ends up being Neil Peart's drum teacher. That's just so weird to say, especially when you're listening to music like today's song, which is not an instrumental. I decided Friday is always a good time to jam the fuck out. So that's exactly what we're going to do. It's a song about a car. This is Red Barchetta.
Train Wrecked is brought to you by, I don't know, a couple of people, but most mostly it's being brought to you by Calvin Air. This starts with a tweet. Uh, essentially, this starts with the tweet by Zuko uh, that says, Kraken has a great reputation with industry veterans and experts, which really isn't very common. Kraken is unique for being the only exchange from the first cohort ever launched to stay in business, scale up, and also never lose customer funds to thieves. I like Kraken. The only exchange that I ever used when I had, well, my shit coinery aside, let's get into this. That Zuko tweet was retweeted by a gentleman by the name of Jason Smith or at I wear a hoodie. I love Kraken FX, really misusing it. Best exchange in the world, hands down. At Jess Pow, if you ever find it in your heart to relist BSV, I would be eternally grateful. Well, Jesse Powell is CEO of Kraken, and, and he writes back directly, says thank you. If the BSV community can ever find it in their hearts to compensate us for the frivolous BSV-related lawsuit and commit to financing defense against all future frivolous BSV-related lawsuits against anyone, we might consider it. And here's where Calvin Air comes in. You fucking wanker. How is a global community be responsible for your stupid business decisions? And Brian Lockhart, of course, in true crypto Twitter form, responds with inverse bra. Now, yesterday, I'm going to, the, the reason I included uh, Brian in there was the fact that he's, he's like tweeted this or, or tagged it at inverse bra into this. Now, yesterday, Bitcoin rabbi, uh, our, our good friend, Bitcoin rabbi, uh, asked a question. Why does everybody keep tagging at inverse bra in their tweets? And oh, mercy. If to the uninitiated, if you haven't, if you're not following inverse bra, Wasserpest or uh, loom dart, uh, and that that puts you clearly in the Wasi camp. If you're following those three guys, you'll find all the rest of the Wasis that you need to find. And I'm not going to get into all of this stuff, uh, but the question has come up on a lot of a lot of times. I, I keep seeing a lot of people saying, "Why do you Why do you tag Inverse Bra?" And I always do. I've never been retweeted by Inverse Bra, but whatever. In <laughs> my my or inverse bras, non-love for me aside, let's get into um, this explanation. The Crypto Monk um, essentially says on a tweet, and this is at actually last summer, in fact, August the 19th, he says, how to inverse bra, complete explanation below, and he's got his little screenshot, and it says, how to summon inverse bra. First off, Why? Summoning the small ting is a way for crypto Twitter to bring joy and entertainment to the masses. It is also an opportunity to gain some clout and show everyone that you understand the nerd psychology. When shall one inverse bra? Bullet point list. One, when you notice something abnormal or a strange interaction that would require a consortium of experts to get a clear explanation. Two, when someone says something extremely stupid or laughable. Three, when a wasi is publicly abused. Oh, bad wasi. 
four, when a no-coiner tries to stunt on Bitcoin with ridiculous price targets, how does one summon said inverse bra? Another bullet list. Regular summoning is to tag inverse bra under the tweet. If it's a serious case, tag inverse bra under someone tagging inverse bra. In cases of emergency, tag inverse bra and insert the following pick. And it's a picture of Batman standing on the ledge with the bat signal up in the sky, except instead of the bat signal, it's an upside down picture of the avatar for in- inverse bra, who is a little green, small um, Pepe frog wearing a cut off McDonald's hat, which has been that way for freaking ever. Um, yeah, it's, I tried to explain, or I, I, I tried to launch, or I was going to launch into an explanation of the inverse bra phenomenon for Bitcoin rabbi, but all I could really muster was like, like this, the fact that I had been following those guys for a year and a half before I could even comprehend what the hell was going on. But I will tell you this, um, <clears throat> the, those accounts have made me laugh on occasions where Things seemed really depressing, dark, dire. They're always, those guys are always able to put a smile on your face at one point or another. And the, the, the indescribable by words chicanery that is that particular small sector of crypto Twitter, and it is crypto Twitter, they will get into shit coinery. So be aware, Um, but they're funny and it's worth it. And we all need to laugh. We all need to laugh. And let's go ahead. And speaking of laugh, let's just go ahead and get straight on into dad and his terrible freaking jokes. This is Terrible Joke Corner. To the person who stole my glasses, I can still drink from the bottle. I mean, what the hell? It's Friday. Most people are going to go out and start getting some beers and whatnot. Um, and that probably goes for grimy trades too. If you're not following grimy trades, uh, he's, he's pretty good. Joe, man, he is always, always a screen cap and whatever beer he starts drinking on Friday. Um, anyway, so, uh, there's really just not much to say, uh, for the, the goings ons as far as, you know, price and stuff like that has been weird all week long. We saw, the crisscross and, and, you know, utter battle between BCH and BSV and somehow or another, either one of those camps that think they're going to win against each other and then think they're going to win against Bitcoin. I mean, as to whether or not they win against each other, it's just, it's just time. It's like, it's just them changing positions like in a race, except that the leader is like, got like 80. Oh, let's see. As far as terms of exahashes, We've got what a hundred and twenty laps on them, so I don't think they're going to be catching up anytime soon. If you're holding the bag of that, I'd seriously consider getting rid of it and selling it to some other idiot and get BTC so that you can stop being an idiot. Okay, last thing that I want to say is again, this was the week of Neil Parrott, um, great inspiration for a lot of people, clearly he was an inspiration. Well, not clearly to me, he was an inspiration to me. There was, um, a lot of the lyrics that were said in rush over the years, kind of 
I don't know, kind of molded me into thinking differently. And it, but what was funny about it is that all that was in my head, all the stuff they said, like, you know, the trees will all be kept equal by hatchet, axe and saw, you know, all these messages that were implanted in my brain, you know, what was so funny about that is that none of them were actually active until Bitcoin. Once I hit Bitcoin, it was like, I don't know. It was like a, a there was a, a, not a moment that I can speak to, but there was this thing that had, like it activated everything, like it activated the immune system that were all these ideas that allowed me to let go of giving a shit about stuff like voting for who, whatever dickhead wants to be president. Like the whole, that whole Warren, you know, Elizabeth Warren and, and Bernie Sanders thing where she's saying that he called her a liar and, and they're like snap sniping at each other at the debates. You know why I, I know about that? Because somebody made a meme about it. That's how I follow politics now. Because now I know, after Bitcoin activating all the messages that I've been listening to since 1981, that's when I found Rush. And all the, the uh, that album, the 1981 album, was Moving Pictures. That was where they got their first number one single, and I think their first number one selling. So, well, I don't think that the album charted. I don't know if it ever hit like number one in sales, but as far as radio play was concerned, uh, Tom Sawyer was number one for uh, a little while, and that was I think that was the only number one song that that band ever had. But all those messages laid dormant. They all laid dormant at the very bottom of my head, just chilling out, waiting for something. Now I know what they were waiting for because once I hit Bitcoin, all of that came back into play and it all made sense. And anyway, if again, I get it. There's a lot of people in, you know, a lot, a lot of the world is like you either hate them and a lot of people do or you love them. I happen to be one of the latter. Anyway, with all that said, you go out, you have a great weekend, remain safe, spend time with your family. I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.